Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we got somebody I've grown to know over the past few years. He was one of my heroes when he went to Duke. You know I've had Antoine Jamison and Vince Carter on together, but they don't stand nothing on this man right here. None other than uh, Grant Hill. What's happening, brother? How are you? Hey, man. Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I've always been a fan of yours, but now that I know that you were a dookie, I'm even a bigger fan. <laughs> That's always, man. Always. Yeah. I, I, I got it. We start our, our show off the same way. But before we get into that, I got to ask you what you think about the comment that Gilbert Arenas made about you. That man said you had no jump shot. I don't know if you heard this, but Gilbert said that you were the prototype number number one when you came into the league and old heads could not guard you. Said you had the best crossover and could get to the basket whenever you wanted to. But he could tell old heads couldn't guard anybody in the league today because they couldn't guard Grant Hill. Have you not heard this? I, I have not heard that, but I'm not surprised coming from Gilbert. Um, <laughs> and Gilbert oh. said, Gilbert, it was a compliment, kind of. And then Gilbert just said, you couldn't shoot. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, look, I, I, I wasn't a great shooter when I came in the league. I think. You know, by year four or five, I, I you know, the mid-range game was was something where I was able to really, uh, you know, really thrive in. Uh, and the game was different. You know, you didn't have as much three-point shooting back then yeah. as you do now. But look, I, you know, Gilbert likes to say out, outlandish things. Um, Jimmy Butler, who, you know, has been in the league and, and you know, he's dominated, uh, particularly in his last postseason. And he's shooting five feet from the basket. All the time. All the time. I mean, he's not shooting jump shots. He's getting into the paint, getting to the free throw line. So, you know, I think, I think, you know, I mean, you know, what do you say to Gilbert? I mean, it, it, no, he he said you were the pro. He said you were the best thing to come into the league. He said you got to the basket when you wanted to. You just couldn't shoot a lick, and old heads couldn't guard you, so they couldn't guard anybody in today's league. So that was his that was his comments. But I, I don't agree with that. But <laughs> I don't agree with a lot of Gilbert Arena. So you know. <laughs> that's fair enough. We we usually start each one of our shows the same way um, by asking people about the arc of their career. But a lot of people know you, so we'll skip that question. I want to know our listeners who haven't been following you what's been going on since you left the NBA talk about some of the career stops that you've made and some of the things you've been doing yeah well you know I retired in 2013 um and um you know just done a number of things and you know I think you know to, to be a, an athlete you know it takes a tremendous sacrifice and to play you know play till I was 40 uh, so much of your time and energy goes into perfecting your craft. And so, you know, the mistake I probably made when I retired was, was trying to do absolutely everything I've ever wanted to do all at once. Um, but, you know, during that span, I think you, you have to try things, see what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, maybe what you're not good at. And, uh, and so during that time, I've, you know, I've been a partner in a, in a mezzanine fund, um, that um, had a, a SBA, uh, you know, a SBIC, a small business uh, investment corporation. Uh, so we invested in small businesses and, and provided growth capital. Um, you know, I, I obviously got into television. Uh, have a, you know a, a real estate company. Um, you know, you know, was it was fortunate in 2015 to to, to buy uh, along with Tony Wrestler, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Currently, um, you know, was was was, an, was a, named the managing partner for USA Basketball. So I'll be picking the uh, World Cup team, uh, selecting the World Cup team next summer and the Olympic team. I already selected the coaching staff for for the next two summers. Um, you know, obviously calling the Final Four. I uh, serve on a couple of corporate boards, Campbell Soup, uh, in a in a REIT called Empire Real uh, 
Empire State Realty Trust. So, you know, just keeping myself busy, I, I, I think I've tried to transition and pivot more in recent years towards things in, in sports. And, you know, obviously with the Hawks, television, uh, and then USA Basketball, to continue to work in and around the game and serve the game uh, are things that, that are really rewarding and fulfilling uh, for me. I mean, what has been the key to your successful second act? Because some former NBA stars don't always kind of have the same second act that you've had. Is it family? Is it focus? What is that key to help you do what? Or is it some of the things you learned at Duke or from your parents that have propelled you into this second act of living because you're doing it quite well? Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, look, I had a dad who played professional football and, you know, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't make the kind of money back in the 70s that they do now. Uh, so I saw firsthand, he played 13 years. So I, I was old enough to sort of see and, and understand as he went through retirement and made that transition. And then also his colleagues and contemporaries and, you know, some, some successes and, and some and many guys who really struggled, uh, not just sort of financially, but, but finding fulfillment. And uh, so I think from the time I, I set foot in the NBA, my rookie year, I was paranoid and I was thinking about, okay, what am I going to do when I'm done? And, you know, when I lived in Detroit, uh, I thought I'd always be with Detroit, thought I'd play for the Pistons for my, my entire career. So I thought it would be something in and around the auto the automotive industry. And, um, and obviously I didn't pan out, but, but just, you know, taking the time during those 19 years to grow and to meet with people, learn from people, expand my Rolodex, um, you know, really understanding, I think, the value and the importance of, of, of relationships and yeah. cultivating those relationships while, you know, while I was hot, you know, while I was in the NBA. And a lot of that's paid off for me. Uh, let's talk about your new book, Game. I remember I was uh, I did the last interview with Cicely Tyson before she passed away. And in that interview, she said I asked her, why did she wait until the end of her life to write her book? And she said, uh uh, she wanted to wait until she had something to say. So why did you write this book? Talk about the timing and what was happening with you personally, where you felt like this was the right time for this type of book and autobiography. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really think I had a whole lot to say. Um, and I, I kind of shied away from the idea of, of actually writing a book. I mean, I, I mean, I remember reading your book and was certainly moved, uh, informed and inspired by your story. Um, and, and the story of others. Um, but I, I think a couple of things uh, unfolded. I think one, the, the Hall of Fame uh, enshrinement in 2018, that, that got me thinking, uh, kind of started the process then of maybe, you know, putting together a book proposal and then kind of shelved, you know, and then during COVID, you know, during COVID, uh, you know, my book agent said, look, you know, they're giving out good book, book, book deals right now. And, uh, and so, the you know, and, and the timing was such where, you know, things slowed down a bit. Um, and so, you know, I think that the, the Hall of Fame gives you a chance to reflect uh, over the totality of your career. And I didn't always look back. I was always kind of looking forward. Uh, and so that combined with COVID, you know, led to this. And, um, and hopefully, you know, I can, I can, you know, hopefully share the perspective of, a, you know, of an athlete going through ups and downs and kind of behind the scenes account, how I, accounts, how I uh, navigated you know, what it's like to be a professional athlete and then just being vulnerable, being vulnerable, being open uh, and hopefully inspiring, you know, inspiring like like you and, and Sister Tyson and, and others have with, with their stories. 
Let's talk about your parents for a minute because they were major characters in your book. How did your parents shape your orientation towards your professional basketball career? And, and you mentioned it early, but go a little deeper on the work that you do now. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, my parents, you know, I'm an only child. And, and so, you know, my parents uh, were very close and, and have been. And I spent a considerable amount of time with them, you know, um, you know, during my, my upbringing. And, and so, you know, just just learning about life and about values and about, you know, what they've experienced. I mean, one of the things I think, you know, they shared so much about their their journey and about their struggles and about their careers. Uh, and I just think that gave me, you know, a bit of balance and perspective. Uh, and so as I, you know, got into sports myself, I mean, I had a great role model and example from my dad and never forced anything on me, never was that little league parent, um, but just always there to kind of guide, reinforce uh, and, and be supportive. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think having that, that sort of, I don't know, institutional knowledge, if you want to say, as you go into it, uh, I, I think was was really helpful, um, and um, you know, and, and and still helpful to this day. You know, I mean, one thing you know I've learned is you never stop being a parent, even when it leaves. And, uh, now you, you may stop, you know, you may it may get off the payroll. I hope <laughs> you, hope. But, uh, you hope, but you know, the, the the role of parent continues, and even for me now, you know, I still lean on them and and, and go to them for help and support and. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they've been there and been a, a valuable resource for me all, all the way from the beginning. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk about Duke basketball briefly. One of the things I found interesting in the book is that you didn't know always that people hated Duke the way that they uh, did until much later because the Duke years were kind of pre-internet. Unpack this Duke hate. And why do you think people just despise or dislike this institution that is a great institution that does nothing but but win? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, to unpack that a little bit, I mean, I, you know, look, it's hard to believe, you know, a world without the internet. and. Um, you know, I think back, um, you know, Duke basketball, we go on the road and we got booed everywhere we went, you know, but then when everybody came to play us in Cameron, they got booed, you know, and so yeah. you, you kind of felt like that was just sort of par for the course in, in ACC basketball. Um, and then, you know, look, we lived in Durham and, and Durham is, you know, close proximity to Chapel Hill. Um, and so, you know, Dur Duke is the largest employer in, in the city of Durham with the hospital and the school. So, you know, we were second fiddle to North Carolina, you know, and even on our own campus, you know, you go in the cafeteria line, you know, there's folks working there that you knew you saw every day, they're talking trash to you. <laughs> you were Carolina fans, but, you know, you, you went around town. I mean, there was Duke, there was Carolina. It, it, you know, we kind of felt like we were building some momentum when I was there, but I don't think I understood the intensity of that hate, of that vitriol, until until really many, many years later. I, I think in part what goes into that, I think, um, you know, you know, the success of the program. Um, I think, 
you know, the, the image of a, of a private university, uh, you know, Duke, uh, which is no different than Georgetown, which is no different than Wake Forest, yeah. all private, uh, you know, private um, schools that are, um, what's the term, uh, pr predominantly white institutes, PWIs. Um, and so I, I think also, though, having good white players, you know, I mean, I think you had succession. <laughs> I mean, Christian Leitner, Christian Leitner did not make he embraced that that hate. It drove him. It, he it, it, it did. And, and look, you had Danny Ferry, you had Christian Leitner, you had Bobby Hurley, you had Steve Bolger. Like you had a succession of like white players. Grayson Allen, who nobody Grayson likes. J.J. Reddick. But, you know, Christian, in Trajan, in Trajan Landing, which I don't and nobody knew what exactly yeah. what ethnicity Trajan was. <laughs> yeah, Trajan was. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think a lot of that played into it, you know, just the success, the private school, the, the fact that we had some good white players. And this sounds crazy. I mean, not to, you know, belabor this, but I never quite understood it, because when you go to college basketball games, whether at Duke or Carolina, anywhere, a majority of the kids that are in the stands are white and, yeah. and they're booing the white students that the white, the white ball players that do. And so like, I never really got booed. And I was always, people liked you. People yeah, liked people, you. I mean, they, I mean, they like Thomas I mean, Hill. I would go like, look, when I was in school, we'd go to Chapel Hill and hang out once or twice a week. And inevitably, Wherever I go, people would say, I hate, I, you know, I hate Duke, but I liked you. Or, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I don't like Duke, but I rock with you, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I think those are some of the- I never really processed too. it because people like, they liked you. They, we even like Corey Maggette. They like, they like Jay Will, you know, all of these, all of these great guys, but, but those white boys didn't get no benefit of the doubt. That's for certain. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this, well, around Duke basketball, but something much larger than that is talk about the influence Coach K had on you and what made him so great and one of the best basketball players uh, in the history of college basketball or basketball period. You know, there's so much to, to like and admire about Coach K. And, and you know, I, I don't think I, you know, obviously didn't understand, um, you know, exactly who he was during the recruiting process. Although uh, that's what won me over. You know, full, full, you know, full disclosure, I, you know, I grew up a Carolina fan and I, and I mentioned that in the book and, but just going through and learning about Coach K and, and, and developing a relationship, uh, that's his strong point. You know, his ability to connect with people, his ability to get to know who you are and, and, and figure out what you need to maximize your abilities. Um, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily, the X's and O's weren't what really, you know, made him stand out, but getting everyone to buy in to a common goal, to a common theme, to play for one another, um, the trust, all, all of that. Like that's where he's a genius. And, and, uh, and that's what I learned so much from. But I, I do remember, you know, when I was being recruited, he said, look, if you come to Duke, you know, I'll give you my very best every day. And, and in return, I expect your very best. And, and so he was very honest. He was very direct. Um, you trusted him and, and you believed in him. And um, and we did. And we we, you know, we followed his lead and, um, you know, it, it was a, an incredible four years. And, you know, and that feeling and that sentiment and that relationship, uh, you know, for me and, and, and I assume countless other former players, you know, sort of still uh, still exist to this day. I like to say when I'm around him, I still feel like I'm 18 and I'm in trouble. <laughs>
but there's a, a tremendous amount of respect and reverence for him. And, um, and just that ability to connect, like he's a leader. That's what he is. He's a leader who just so happens to have coached basketball. And it's kind of crazy because y'all Duke basketball is never known for like having 10, a, a rotation of 10 players. Y'all have a rotation of six, seven players, but everybody else on the bench buys in to it and they're all a part of it. And it was kind of fascinating to watch him do that. How do you how do you think Coach K feels about his last game being a loss in the final four against North Carolina as the competitor he is that has to burn him up, you think? Yeah, you know, I think it I think it does. I mean, I think I, I also think, you know, you coach as long as he did. Obviously, you want to you want to win. I, I think he was secure enough in, in his legacy and secure enough in, in what he accomplished. I think he, I think he really enjoyed that team last year. And I think he enjoyed that they gave him everything. And 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 so I think he was hurting for them that they yeah. didn't get a chance to experience what, what I experienced and other guys who've won championships. Um, but I, 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 you know, and, and maybe there was, a, you know, a sadness overall that it's over, but, um, you know, I, the Carolina thing, I mean, I, you know, I think the fans obviously play more into that than anything, but I think the fact that like, like, man, cause I called all his games during the tournament and, and to see how he enjoyed it. He enjoyed this, these guys and, and watching it, witnessing it, interviewing the guys, the coach, the coaching staff, like they gave him everything. Yeah, they, coach, they did. That's that's all you can ask for. Close game down the stretch. Carolina just, you know, made the right plays at the right time. Um, but I think he was proud, but also sad for them uh, in that moment. What do you want readers to take from this book? You know, I think there's been a lot of curiosity, I guess. I didn't realize this, but, you know, curiosity um, about, you know, about sort of my upbringing and, and you know, coming of age and, um, and I think people, you know, you know, have assumptions or, 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 or what have you. And so, you know, just to be real and to be honest. I mean, because we see you all the time. Basketball, we, we know who Grand Hill is, but you don't read about Grand Hill. You don't read about the you don't read about your beautiful family. It's like and that's probably a good thing. You know, you're not out there and, and overexposed. And so one of the things I got from this book is just learning that you two are human. So it gives me an opportunity to, to dream and maybe teach Stokely that he can be the next Grand Hill. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I mean, just, you know, maybe humanizes me and hopefully inspires people. But just look, I, I feel having gone through this process like you've gone through, yeah. we all have a story to tell. And, and now we, you know, we all should write a book, you know, the exercise of writing a book doesn't mean we all will get it published, but yes. I, I think the exercise of, of going through, um, you know, just, just, you know, you know, really looking at the totality of your life and reflecting on and learning and, and, and seeing how you've grown, how you've evolved, how you've gone through uh, the good and the bad, uh, I, I think is a healthy exercise, but you know, I just I want people to learn more about me and I'm real and I've had ups and downs. I had, you know, some some insecurities. Um, I didn't always get it right. Um, uh, I also had some 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 really incredible times. But, um, you know, I, I just hopefully hopefully be inspired, hopefully, uh, you know, just get a better sense and understanding of of what the journey's like as a as a collegiate athlete, as a professional athlete, injuries. Uh, growing up, you know, with some relative privilege, all of that, um, you know, I, I hope people can take away from. You talk about it in this book as well. Um, but what's the Grant Hill playbook for athletes, entertainers? I mean, hell, even politicians, which 
I would pray that you end up being one one day. Uh, people who have been in the limelight for how they develop that second act once that chapter of your career closes. What I mean, if you were talking to, you know, the NBA draft pre-camp in Portsmouth, what's your advice to uh, those young people? Yeah, well, you know, I have talked to, to rookies at the rookie transition program, and um, you know, I think I think the thing that I you know have stressed and would you know continue to stress to young people is that you're always being watched and. And I think that's even more the case now in the, in the, in the digital age we're in and social media. Uh, it was very different. You know, when I was in school, you know, you could do juvenile things. You could be, you know, foolish and silly. And Lord knows, you know, some of those Duke teams and my teammates, we did some really juvenile things. Um, but how you treat people, how, you know, how you interact with folks, how you are in the locker room, you know, all of that is, is, is almost like being recorded. And, and this community in, in sports is such a small community. And uh, I can pick up the phone right now and ask about any player. And nine times out of 10, an assistant coach, a head coach, or, or someone who's in the front office, um, you know, I, I know them. I played with them. I played against them. And, and so I can find out about people and their character. And so, um, you know, just, just trying to emphasize doing the right thing. Uh, if you want to have a life afterwards, if you want to be able to do some things, you're auditioning right now. You know how you behave, how you interact, um, you know, and 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 what you do, and and, and handling success and failure. Um, people are observing, and so for me, you know, growing up in D.C., I always wanted to get into politics. Uh, the political arena was very different in the '80s than it is now. Um, and so I, that, that feeling is no longer there, but, uh, you know, for me, there were loads of examples of, of, of even locally and, you know, in DC. Oh, you grew up with Marion Barry. So, I mean, you, you all knew that. Marion, <laughs> Marion Barry, um, you know, I remember the Gary Hart situation where you had, you, know, you had politicians, people in the limelight who, you know, who, 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 who couldn't manage their power or celebrity well. And, and, uh, and so, you know, my mom used to always say, you know, cause I, you know, as I talk about in the book, I, you know, I was kind of shy and lacked confidence at times. And she would say, don't fear failure, fear success because more people are ruined by it. And, and we have loads of examples of people back then and even now who just, you know, weren't, weren't you know, weren't able to, to, to manage and, and handle the success that they were given. I'm going to let you go in a minute. I got to ask this question, though. You played in the NBA during the Jordan era, but you've also played against Kobe and LeBron. I won't ask you to rank them. I, rem I just heard uh, Ray Allen uh, analyze that LeBron James couldn't be the GOAT because he can't shoot or dribble. Um, but talk to me about what it was like to compete against who I'd argue are the three of the greatest players of our lifetime. And how did their games differ from your perspective? And when you, you went on, you went toe-to-toe with each of them, maybe not LeBron at his prime, he was a little young, but how, how, how do their games compare? Yeah. You know I mean? I, I guarded, I guarded all of them really with the exception of Michael, you know, those, those years in Detroit, you know, Scotty Pippen and I were matched up, but I was oh, yeah. certainly on the floor against Michael and we had moments. So, I mean, if you, I mean, if you had to guard, you didn't have to do nothing. Was Scotty had no jump shot, would you just box him out? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, Scotty was good. Scotty was good. We, um, you know, I mean, to me, you know, look, the, the, first of all, the problem I have with this this debate and um, is that in order to justify your number one, you have to put down someone else. Yeah. And, you know, even as, as Ray said that, like, 
to 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 you know to put down LeBron. Like you know, I, like LeBron's one of the greatest to ever play, and I and and so I feel, you know, I, I put Michael at the top, and, yeah. and Michael to me um, is, is still the best to ever do it. Relentless footwork, uh, competitive nature. I mean, just winning. He had an aura, you know. You, you think about that Dave Chappelle skit, you know, and you're talking about Rick James, like yeah, Michael yeah. had an aura about him, and um, and it was just absolutely incredible. Uh, in terms of next, I mean, like I guarded Kobe a lot, which was unfair because I had a bad ankle and I'm 37 trying to guard Kobe in Phoenix, which was like, you know, you know, it's like I mean, now I'm a defensive stopper with one ankle, <laughs> and, and, and but but he he was a lot like Jordan in that he was relentless. He was constantly coming at you. It was hard to game plan for because he really could do everything. Um, but he was the ultimate challenge and uh, a great competitor. Obviously we miss him. I enjoy competing against him. Uh, and then LeBron, like he was younger, uh, LeBron more pass first kind of guy. Um, you know, rules are a little bit different right now, less physicality. He's so big and so strong, but his basketball intellect and the way he thinks the game uh, is incredibly off the charts. So, um, you know, they're all great. Uh, I think we all should celebrate them. I got Jordan sort of ahead of them both. Uh, after that, um, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I, I maybe I'd go LeBron, but uh, I think even in the conversation, people forget about the greatness of Kobe, you know, and, yeah. and Kobe could make an argument for being, um, you know, number two as well. Mm. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you, who's on your Mount Rushmore of basketball for Duke? Not not including yourself, but the Duke University Mount Rushmore. Oh, man. So that's tough. That's tough. Um, so first of all, it's got to be late. Like Leitner, say what you want about Christian, but like he, I think in the modern era, he goes from 1980 until present day. You know, I don't know if anyone has been as accomplished or dominant uh, or as successful as Christian was. So uh, I'll put uh, Leitner up there. You know, I'm a little bit uh, biased towards the old head. So Johnny Dawkins, who kind of- Of course, you got to, of course, yeah. JD uh, is up there as well. Um, this is where it gets tricky, you know? This is where it gets tough. Um, you know, I'll go with, I'll go with Jay Williams. You, you know? gotta put Jay. I was gonna put if, Jay, if 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 I was doing this and could include you, it would be Johnny Christian, you and Jay Will, and I'll be done. But since you're not on there, you gotta come up with one more. Jay. And so I, I love Battier, I love JJ Reddick. Um, you know, I gotta represent somebody from from the new era, you know, and and, uh, and it's tough with one and done because you know, you didn't get to see them in, in uniform for a long period of time. So you got Zion, you got Jason Tatum, you got Kyrie. Um, you got Kyrie to, played two games at Duke, right? Two, four, four games, <laughs> four, four, five, something like that. Um, yeah. I'm gonna go with you know, I'm gonna go with Jason Tatum. I, I think, I think his NBA career, he's still young, but he has a chance to you know, to, to really be the, the best Dukey in the NBA. Um, and you know, he, he's so good, so skilled, so talented. Had a, had a great playoffs, didn't have a great finals. But uh, I think we'll learn from that and we'll only come back better. So uh, I'm going to put Dawkins, Williams, Leitner, and Tatum. Man, I can't believe you did that to J.J. Reddick. The leading scorer in the history of the ACC and all them other accolades or was. That's okay, though. 
JJ <laughs> you- that was my rookie. That was my rookie. His friend, his rookie year in Orlando. Uh, although I'm a little salty that you know it took me writing a book for him to invite me on his podcast. <laughs> uh, how can people buy the book, man? I tell people how to buy the book when it's you know all those good things. Yeah, no, I mean the, the book is 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 sold where all books are sold, I and mean, you can find it where all, I guess we can find it where all books are sold. <laughs> Uh, you know, online, Amazon, bookstores. Uh, we even have the the audio version. Which did you do? Did you record that? I read it. I read it myself. You read George yourself? Yeah, I did, and that took forever. That was a hard. It, it's thing. a tarp. Oh, I first of all, I, I first of all, your throat hurts. You get your throat gets dry, and then you forget how to read. It's like the words that you say every day. You forget how to read them. Yeah, I, I was inserting words. I was like, you know, I was just like, thankfully somebody was there. Uh, to make sure I wasn't messing up, but it took it was like six six hour days for me yeah. to do it. So um, so anyway, I, I, I um, yeah, but no, I mean I know that's a a, a, a huge audience now are, are into the audio book. So yeah, no, the books are everywhere, and I think it's a you know I mean I'm you know biased, but I think it's a good read. No, it's a, a very book. good read. It's an easy read. That's how you know it's a good book because it's an easy read. But Grant Hill, thank you for joining the Bukari Sellers podcast. Thank you for being a friend, and I look forward to catching up with you soon, man. All right, man. I'm gonna make sure I send uh, some some Duke swag to you, knowing now that you, uh, were, you know, are a Duke fan, a long time fan. A long time Duke fan. I cried when you guys blew that uh, twenty point lead to Kentucky. That 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 game, I I shed so many tears. Okay, hold on. I, I didn't play that game. You, you, I know. Yeah, I wasn't in that game. I, I cried too. I was watching that game, but uh, no, <laughs> I, I, you know, I just want to make sure I never lost. That was a good Kentucky team that they were blasting, and then they just fell apart. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it happens. It does. Anyway, take it easy, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, peace, man.